I got it. This message is titled Being Transformed. I know that sounds like that's a biblical word. It's not a word that we use often. Transformed. Um, I, I, I like my digital devices quite, quite a bit. I've grown accustomed to using them. Grown accustomed to trying to utilize them to the best of my ability, and they help me to learn things, they help me to see things better, they help me to understand some stuff. Um, and sometimes though, the, the wording, you know, everybody that has a device, a smartphone or an iPad or a computer or a laptop, almost all of us have this, this uh, uh, um, I don't know what you call it, that it's, it's a working in the system that it, 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 it actually gives you... Uh, um, it, 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 it advises you what word you want to speak next. Have you ever noticed that? What do you call that? Uh, predict a text. I don't know what you call it. Something like that. Autocorrect, predict a text, something to that effect. Because uh, what it does is, I, I, I noticed it does this, is as I'm typing out notes or something in my, for my sermon, my message, it'll actually give me the word that I think it wants me to say. It does this, and I'm like, you know, and every now and then it gets it right. It's really wild. Or, oh, that's a good idea. I like that one. Uh, you guys ever utilize that? Like, look at it? No? Okay, you just like type your messages like, nope, you don't give me any advice. But what caught my attention this morning, and I thought, oh, is as I was typing out the title, Being Transformed, it, it, instead it said, Being Transgendered. I quickly corrected that because that's like, wait a second, maybe that's where this world is at. And it is where this world is at. This world is a little bit different than the kingdom of God, is it not? Have we not really come to this understanding and I could stand up here and be in a room of like-minded thinkers and we could all say hoorah to the kingdom of God and say boo-rah to the stuff of this world. But I think there's something that needs to take place inside of us that needs to happen. So I want to speak this message because that is the title of this message, Being Transformed. So I want to read, the, the I think, a couple of the most popular passages or verses of the Bible. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And I'm going to read this out of the New Living Translation. And we'll get into some good discussion. You guys ready? For some good discussion. And uh, if you're new here, this is a, maybe a first time or second or third or whatever. This is something I want you to understand about the salt mine. I'd like you to uh, know that this is who we are. We're very casual. We're very open. We call ourselves an open style fellowship. That, um, um, and, and we're non-denominational. In other words, we're not affiliated with any sort of other denomination. But uh, what we like to do is what I like to do and something I've always liked to do as a preacher is to open up the congregation to, to interrupt me. To uh, Basically, if you have a thought or idea or because I believe it's a biblical format for gathering together is if you have something to share, please interrupt me. Just raise your hand or throw something at me, get my attention and, and I will uh, acknowledge and, and, and give, you the, give you the floor for a minute. Um, I know that's, for some people in this fellowship, that's really easy to do, but I know for some it's like, wait, what? No, I'm not going to do that. But you're welcome to. I will do my darndest to not embarrass you. I really will try hard. Unless it's George, then I just embarrass you just straight up. And it's like, it's, it goes with the territory. So Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it says this. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Because of all he has done for you, let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way we, to worship him. And don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know and approve God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. I can say right off the bat that probably one of the most um, 
I don't know, prominent issues that we deal with as a person, as an adult, as a growing in the Lord person, that a Christian, is we want to know what God's will is, right? I mean, I think that there's everybody in the room could say, if I could just know God's will for my life, then I would have it settled and I would just go that way. Hello? No? Am I the only one that's ever thought that? Like, and so if we think that, we, if, we, if I just know what he wants me to do, then I'll do it. It's that, it's, that, it's that figuring out what he wants me to do part that we get, it gets muddled up. It gets, it gets, uh, it, it gets a little crazy in our brain. Hello? Yes. Wait a second. I think he gave us the formula. Didn't he? So get the crazy out of your brain and it's time to do some, I hate, I'm going to say it, brainwashing. Ooh, those Christians and those, they, all they do is they brainwash you. I had that said to me uh, a long time ago one time. Oh, you guys are all, just all about you just brainwashing everybody. It's like, yeah, yeah, my brain needs some cleaning. It needs some cleaning up. And I know yours does too because what comes out of your mouth is filthy. So, so I, it, was, it was one of my buddies on a construction site, so I could say that to him. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come to you this morning and say, as Paul, and, and just beg you, because the wording he uses in, in many of the translations is, I beseech you, I beg you, I plead with you to offer yourselves, your whole self, to Jesus. Offer your whole self to Jesus as he gave his whole self to you. And that's an acceptable, in fact, I would, even, I would even venture to say and be as bold to say that is the acceptable offering to God. The only acceptable offering to God is all of you. Part of you is, you mean, and we get into these conversations like, well, at least they showed up. And, and, or at least they're doing this thing that is close to the right thing. And here's what I, when I hear those kind of phrases, it's like, to me, it's a, it's a milquetoast cop-out to what is the most important thing, which is all of us. All of you is important to God, so important to God that he gave all of him for you. So it only makes sense, and this is why it's an acceptable offering, just as Jesus offering to God the Father of himself on the cross was an acceptable offering to God for your and my forgiveness of sins. Our only acceptable offering is all of me, right? I, I don't know, that's, it's not that complicated, but we seem to have issue with it. In fact, it's like it's easier to say than it is to do, right? Amen. This offering that we give to God of all of ourselves, I even refer to it, I, I call it a progressive offering. What do you mean by that, Eric? Okay, here's what I mean by that. Since you asked the question, that was a good question, by the way, is the more you give of yourself, the more yourself will be revealed to you to give of yourself. I just ran around a circle like this, woo, 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 chasing my tail. No, here's what, it, here's what I'm saying is the more that I give of myself, the more that's going to be revealed, uncovered, that I've been hiding or keeping concealed or keeping to myself. So it really is this progressive move. Another, I'll say it another way. All that God really expects of you is all that is all of you. So when we give, I was going to give my, my uh, testimony of that because when I came to this place of complete surrender to God, I was a young man, very young, unmarried, just it's still in high school, didn't know a lot about anything, even though I thought I knew everything, okay? So all I knew to do was give all of myself and not realizing that all of myself had a lot of stuff that I didn't realize and know that was floating around back there, call them DRIs, right? The deep-rooted issues that were built in, planted, and grafted into my life that I didn't even know existed. So when I jumped in, all of me, I realized this, this thing was taking place. It was 
there was a building, a progression that was taking place that this opened up in my life. Some issues opened up in my life that I didn't see that were there. And I was like, oh, man, because I had a, uh, grew up with an abusive father. And, and stuff came out as I was developing in this relationship with this beautiful young woman that is now my wife for 36 years that I didn't know was capable of coming out. And, and so that was something that, I, that God was saying, now that is mine too. And I was like, oh, okay, I don't want that, so I got to give that to you. Because he showed something to me that I didn't know was there until I jumped all in. Now, if we just kind of tip our toes in the water, here's what's going to happen. This is what will happen. I promise you, you will not see what you need to deal with. It won't get revealed to you until we jump all in. Hello? Okay, so we, the, the only acceptable offering then is to jump all in. And when that happens, the cleansing takes place, the brainwashing, if you want to call it that, the transformation starts taking place continuously, constantly. Yes, compounding. It, and I'll, I'll keep using both words, maybe throughout the entire message. Progressing and compounding. Do they work together? Okay, good. Thank you. I was semi-right. I'll take semi-right any day of the week, right? Come on. I know you will too. Like, I'll take close to being right most of the days of the week. All right, so let's go on. Because here's what, uh, I want us to reread verse 2, and then we're going to open up, a, I think, a really good discussion. Uh, verse 2, uh, and I'm going to read this out of the NIV because that's that one version of the Bible that I like. It just got me when I first got saved. And I feel like I'm going back to my first love, which is, of course, is Jesus. But the word of God just becoming alive in me and working its, its uh, transforming power in me. It's like, and that's, it's the word of God that does it. So verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. See, there's a word used there that caught my attention. And I want to share another verse in Philippians chapter uh, verse 1, starting in verse 9 and 10. And this verse came about... In um, our Tuesday night study was really great. Uh, Adams, uh, he's, uh, by the way, he's gone this morning. He's had to do a funeral in Santa Cruz. So he and his family are there at a funeral. Philippians 1, 9 and 10. I want you to catch the similarities that's going on here. And it is my prayer that you, your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. So that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So as we combine and consider both of these um, uh, conceptually similar passages that Paul wrote, Paul wrote both of them. We have a goal here that Paul sets up for us. The goal that Paul lays out for us is this, to know and to live out God's will for my life to the very end. Hello? To know and live out God's will for my life to the very end. Because that's what he talks about in, in, the, in the Romans passage. That he says, it, the, uh, how do we say it? Oh, gosh. To know God's will, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And then also in the Philippians passage, to, to, that you'll be blameless for the day of Christ. So as we consider both of these to get there and stay there, we need to have our brains cleaned, right? Transform my thinking. Wash my brain from the stain of stinking thinking. And therefore put into practice or simply live out the love of Christ. That's our goal, right? Is not only to know it, but to live it all the way to the end. To live out the love of Christ. It's the love of Christ. It's the love 
that he loved me with. Amen? So let's get going and doing this together. Let's talk about it. Because this is where it gets, I'm going to, this is going to get a, a smidge gritty. So I'm warning you. You know what gritty means, right? It's the sandpaper that's rubbing off something that doesn't belong, right? It's, it's taking out the splinters or taking off the rough edges. So this is where it gets a little gritty. A little gritty. How many of you know this truth? What you tolerate is what you validate. What you tolerate in your life is what you validate for your life. A key word in this passage is what? You guys caught it in both passages. and Because I, I read the different translations and I combined them together. Is what? Starts with an A. Approve. Approve. That's an interesting word because it seems like, well, you know, okay, I approve. Uh, but what does that really mean? What does that really entail? Uh, I, I will tell this, I will say this in, um, you know, I use Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 as like the highlight, the starting point. But if you read the book of Romans, it starts out, chapter 1, it starts out interestingly about a people that Paul's writing to that he's actually never even visited, never even seen. And he writes this kind of intense letter, intense letter. And he starts out right off the bat saying it's all about Jesus and Jesus is, you know, he's, he's the answer. And, and, and because of him, we're not ashamed of the gospel to, to preach the gospel. And it's all that he's doing. And I'm, the, I'm a living testimony. And then he goes on and he says, but you guys are doing stuff that not even the world does. As the church, you're participating in heinous activities. You're doing things that you're you're doing things that the world looks at and frowns upon as wrong. As the church. And he says, and then he uses this wording right at the end of chapter one. I don't know exactly that where it's at. Uh, maybe somebody could find it back there. I think it's the very last ver verse of chapter 1, if I'm, if I'm recalling it. He says, not only do you do them, but you approve of people that do them. And Paul's making this statement. I've always caught, thought that statement's a little bit odd. It's like, well, isn't doing them worse than approving of doing them? Hello? In your Western mindset, would you say the same thing? I've thought the same thing, but according to what this is saying, what he's saying in here and what this is saying here in these two other passages and what I'm going to preach on this morning, what we're sharing and talking about is that word approval is a much deeper word. In fact, it's, 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 it's the thing we do that allows the stuff in our life that causes the damage, not only in our life, but in other lives. But here's the beauty in that, too. The thing that we approve of God, when we approve his will, that's what he's telling us to do. That's where the good stuff starts happening. So it's a, an alignment. It's an alignment. So this thing, I wrote this down, and this is, it seems like it's going to be a, a circle. But listen to this. That which we tolerate, we approve that which we tolerate and we approve of, and that which we approve of is what we validate, and that which we validate is what we give ownership to, and that which we give ownership to is what we worship, and ultimately what we become like, and which ultimately we become like that which we worship. I got to reread that again, because it was really good. I even kind of, even for my own self. That which we tolerate, we approve of. And that which we approve of, we validate. And that which we validate is what we give ownership to. And that, and that which we give ownership to is what we worship. And ultimately, we become like that which we worship. Hello? So does that make sense when you read that, that Romans 12, 1, where he talks about, here, give yourself fully because this is your reasonable act of worship. This is what worshiping God looks like, giving of yourself. So that's what we're after. Okay. You guys with me still? 
Okay, good. I like, I like the heads nodding. That's a good. Not nodding off, but nodding yes. <laughs> Amen. So Joshua 9. I want to I give it a little example. In Joshua chapter 9. And uh, I'm, so I'm going to give some backstory, and I'm going to tell you what happens here in Joshua chapter 9. If some of you might remember this story, I'm sure some of you do, if you've read the Bible, because I... The book of Joshua is one of my favorite books. It's really a fantastic book of the Bible because there's just a lot of action going on from the beginning all the way to the end. Uh, you know, and that's where we get Joshua 24, 15, right? When everybody has it on their wall. What is also a part of that, that passage is, hey, Joshua lays it out. It's like, I've laid out everything. Here's how we follow God. You could choose life. You could choose death. You could choose right. You could choose wrong. You have the choice. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I love that because that's, that's, that's at the end of Joshua. Choose this day whom you shall serve. Yeah, you could choose life or death. You know, and Joshua starts out, like, you know, you're strong and courageous. There's this encouragement to go forward, move ahead into the promised land. That's what Joshua's commission was by God after Moses gave commission to Joshua, God had, had anointed him to lead his people into the promised land. Moses had got them all the way there, and then they wandered around for 40 years because they couldn't figure it out. Well, there's a lot of reasons by that. I'm not going to go into there. But Joshua and, and, of course, Caleb, they're the ones that are leading them into the promised land. And at first they crossed the, the river, the Jordan River. It's awesome. The story of the, the river stopping and them crossing on dry ground just like they did through the Red Sea it's fantastic it's amazing there should be a hundred movies about it and we'd still be like blown away at how awesome it is because it's really neat it, it, like there's wars with kings and these it, it's amazing so they get into uh, Jericho and of course they 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 march around the city a whole bunch of times and the walls come tumbling down because they sing and shout and and it, it's awesome story that's Joshua 6 I believe and then you get into Ai, you know, and, and one of one of the, you know Achan, he hides some of the the loot from from Jericho, and first they lose to Ai. In other words, they go to battle, and God's not with them because one person decides to take some loot from Jericho, and that one person costs thousands of lives because, and of course, it costs him his life eventually too. So then they get that right, and they right the ship there. And then they defeat Ai. And these are fortified cities in the promised land. They are fortified cities with kings that are awesome. I mean, so much so that this is still the land of, this is the land of the giants. I mean, this is like where the giants are. These guys were huge. I mean, we're talking big men, large men. I mean, have you ever you know, just been like, wow, that's a big person when they when you they walk in the room and they're like six seven, six eight, six nine, six ten? You're like, whoa, they're amazing, aren't they? I mean, what I, I hate to be like amazed at the size of a man. I forgive me for that seem, seeming that way, but they catch your attention, right? These guys were eight nine feet tall. You know, Goliath wasn't the only one. He wasn't the only one. He had a lot of brothers and he had cousins and he had nephews and uncles. And these people were giants and these these were in this land. And and here comes Joshua and Caleb. And they're just they're just wreaking havoc, man. They're taking them out one by one all the time. And it's like fantastic. So so you, you get this one. This one uh, uh, about, uh, thing is about four kings. They gather together and say, we've got to come against these these Israelites, because they're coming in and they're coming in hot. We got to stop them. So all these kings, they come together and they try to fight them off. Well, then there's this one set of people. They're called the Gibeonites. The Gibeonites. They decide they're a little, I think, more clever than the <laughs> fighters. Leo. They say, let's trick them. Let's trick them. Let's pretend that we're from way far away, not a part of this land that they're coming in to take. Let's deceive them. Let's make our, you know, we'll put some old sacks on our donkeys. We'll put some old sandals on our feet. We'll put some old wine in some wineskins and have all this old stuff. And we'll just go and we'll say, hey, make a treaty with us, please. So that we, so you don't defeat us. So you don't take us out. 
And it worked. It worked because, and I know this is a great story. A lot of preachers like to preach on this topic because they didn't consult God. They didn't consult God. Instead, they looked at the evidence. They talked amongst themselves and they said, all right, we'll make a treaty with you. We won't destroy you and your people. We'll actually be peaceful to you. That's because you guys are far enough away. We'll be good neighbors. How about that? And they make this treaty. They make a pact with the Gibeonites. Well, they find out three days later as they're marching through the land, who do they run across? The Gibeonites. And they're like, what? You dirty rats. You dirty rats. You tricked us. Joshua was upset and he's, you tricked us. And all of the Israelites were all upset. This is my version, okay? They're all upset, but it's in the Bible. Joshua chapter nine. You can read it. And, and as they, they said, well, let's, let's destroy them anyway because they lied to us. And Joshua said, no, 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 no. No, we cannot do that because we approved we approved. We made a pact. We made an agreement. And I spoke it with my mouth. And that's enough. And when I made this agreement with these people, it is binding because I spoke it with my mouth. Wow, what a way to live, huh? That's awesome, isn't it? Gosh, that's fantastic. They, I, you know, and I'm always thinking like, wow, Joshua, he was the leader of the Israelites. I mean, does that make him a politician? Not, not in our day, right? He held true to his word. And then here's what takes place. Is he, and this is something I caught kind of interestingly is that the people, the Israelites were like, well, let's just, let's just destroy him anyway. They lied to us. And he said, no, you can't do that. See, but those same people were like all on board with like, yeah, let's have some friends as long as they're far enough away. Let's agree to this pact and this treaty as long as they're far enough away, as long as it doesn't affect us. And then as soon as it affected them, they're like, let's break the treaty and let's destroy him. And Joshua said, no, we can't do that. And because of that approval, because of that agreement, it cost them dearly. It cost them dearly. Now, the, these people that were living in that land were not of the Lord. And so, yeah, and yeah, the end result is they make them, they, they bring them actually into their own people. They make them uh, woodcutters and water carriers. In other words, they're slaves, they're servants. But they let them live amongst themselves. And if you think that that may be like, well, What's the big deal about that? I'm going to tell you what, I'll even go, I'll go back and we'll go forward in history, which is back, way back for us, is to God, it was binding. That agreement was so binding. And I want us to hear something here, because this is what I think is a rich kingdom principle, is when we make an agreement, when we approve of a way of life, a system, a, a something that, in, that we're, we're actually making a binding agreement. That's why it's so critical to choose today to surrender, to follow the Lord. Because here's what took place is King Saul, back, you know, this uh, go forward in history. King Saul, actually, the first king of the Israelites, says, is after, you know, all the judges and the first king of Israel, he became so passionate about Israel's protection that these Gibeonites that were still living amongst them were wreaking havoc and causing trouble. He went in and just destroyed them all, annihilated them, took them out anyway. In spite of the pact, in spite of the agreement, in spite of the treaty, he disregarded the binding agreement 
and called it okay because it was for the glory of Israel. Now, who do you think had an issue with that? God. God had an issue with that. Now, the binding agreement wasn't correct because, remember, they didn't consult God, but they did it anyway. So God actually, God actually did something. He, got, he had to allow this to take place because the people didn't trust and follow after him. They didn't consult him. So do you see what I'm saying here? Is we have God's permission to live our lives however we see fit, however we want. And God will allow it. Wow. You ever thought about that? I mean, it's a thought that I think of like that's like, you know, we say, well, if God didn't want me to do it, he'd stop me. It's like, no, no. He won't stop you from being stupid. Right? I mean, how many? I won't even ask for a show of hands. Because we'll all go up because it's like, yeah, he didn't stop me from doing that. I wish he would have. It's like, well, he's given us instruction how to live and live well and live right under his, under his blessings. And yet we so choose to live how we see fit. And when Samuel, uh, uh, Samuel Saul, Saul, King Saul, destroyed the Gibeonites, what, what happened then? Um, this, was, this was in turn, David was then taking kingship at the time and right around that period, and there was a famine in the land for three years straight. Three years straight. And we don't know, we don't know if that would have ever stopped if David, the good king, hadn't consulted God. And he went to God and said, God, what is going on? Why is this happening? He said, well, I'll tell you why. It's because Saul killed off the Gibeonites. Saul killed the Gibeonites. He broke a treaty. And David's like, well, what do I do? What do I do? This is in uh, 2 Samuel 21. What do I do? And, and uh, he's like, well, consult the Gibeonites. See what they're going to say. And it's interesting this takes place. And they, they say, well, you know, it, what's done is done. Our kin are dead. You know, they're almost all dead. There's only a few of us left. They're They're gone thanks to your King Saul. And so they, they said, well, here's what we could do. And I know this gets a little gruesome for some, but it's, it's what happens. He said, well, what would you like me to do? David asked them, what would you like me to do to make it right? And he said, well, how about this? Give us seven sons of Saul and we'll execute them. We'll sacrifice them. And David said, done. Done. And it happened. That's a little bit like, whoa, that's the Bible that we read. But here's, here's what I want us to hear this morning. That's the power of approval in your life and my life. It has effect, takes effect, and has impact for lives beyond even your very own this morning today. Hello? Do you hear that? I want us to hear this very real and rich because it's important for us to get it and understand. And not only get it and understand, but realize that the transforming of my mind that's seeking and seeking out the will of God and approving His will, aligning my life with His will as opposed to the patterns of this world is not just for me to look pretty and do things well. It's to make an impact that goes far beyond here and now and today and you. Hello? Did you guys hear that? Okay, I'll say it again because I think that needs to be heard and it's really important for us to hear and understand is the power of the approval, what I approve in my life for allowing and, and aligning my life with the will of God and approving of His will by the transforming of my mind, the cleansing of my stinking thinking. And when I do that, I approve of and validate the will of God in my life. As opposed to approving of and validating the will of the world in my life. Hello? Hello? Amen. So this is why it's really important for us to get this. The world's thinking versus the kingdom's thinking is a real thing. 
Um, real quick, and I'm going to go through this because I think this is interesting and at the same time revealing to just how this works out, okay? Have any of you ever heard of a, a term called zero-sum bias? One? Fantastic. Because I, I hadn't heard of it until about a month ago, and it was interesting. I ran across this term, and I didn't even know what it was. I'm like, oh, that's an interesting term. And so I'm going to... I'm going to contrast the world's thinking, which is zero-sum bias, to kingdom thinking, which is abundant-sum bias. Serious. It's a real thing. These are real things. So I want to break it down, though. Okay? Is a zero-sum bias is this. A bias is, you know, where we're, we lean towards a certain way of thinking. Zero-sum bias is that there's, there is a, a finite amount of resources, whether they are tangible or intangible, available for all. In other words, um, if I just say there's a million dollars in this room and that's it, a million dollars and then we divide it up equally and that's what we all get and that's all that's left is that's all that exists. Okay. It's a finite amount. Um, and, and that it's true of even like, uh, it, it works into, uh, let's say, um, a parent's affection. Some people think that, well, if, if my mom loves my brother more, then that means I get less love. That's a worldly way of thinking. Is it true or accurate? No, because we know that a parent's love is, and I'll say this, and I believe I can say it, is infinite. It's like a parent can love all five of their kids equally. Hello? We have four, and we love them equally. Were they different? Absolutely. But we love them equally. There's more, as much love for the first as there is for the last. Hello? Right? So that's, a, a, that's an abundant sum bias thinking. Okay, here's how it plays out. You guys see, see, ever see this play out uh, driving down the road? You ever just be driving down the road, minding your own business, trying to get from A to B? And all of a sudden, you know, you got to merge into from two lanes to one. Right? This happens all the time, especially in small towns like this. And you just get that guy or gal that they just got to get ahead of you. And not only ahead of you, but two or three other cars, and they'll zip around, they'll get in there, and they just got to get ahead. Because if they're behind, then that means they're that farther behind you, and they're so for, therefore, they, we need to get just ahead. And that, because that, that means I'm going to get there first. That's zero-sum bias driving. No, because if, they, if I stay behind, I'll miss out on what's up ahead. Hello? You guys tracking with me? It's a way that the world thinks and it's a way that the world operates that's very apparent. We have this thing called competitive sports in our world. There's a winner and a loser. If you score more points, you win. If you don't, you lose. That's, that's a, a, a line of thinking that's very real. But what I'm saying is, and I'll go back to Scripture, do not be conformed to the pattern of thinking of this world. The transforming of your mind is kingdom thinking. And abundant some bias is this. It's beautiful. God has no end. He is has no empty. He is truly infinite in all of his resources, especially grace, forgiveness, kindness, goodness. There is and blessing. And you see how, because let me get gritty for you a second. Have you ever been in a situation where somebody is receiving a blessing? And not you. Zero some bias might kick in and think, start thinking, where's mine? Hello? They don't deserve that, huh? It's not fair. I got him. Where's my blessing? Kingdom thinking is hallelujah, they're being blessed. That's where we get the thinking that Jesus told us to think like if somebody is mourning and they're, ha and they're sad, 
mourn with them. If somebody is blessed and they're happy, rejoice with them. That's because kingdom thinking and abundant some biased thinking, you know, I'll tag the two together, is that there's way more than enough for all of us. Hello? There's way more than enough of God for all of us. Hallelujah. Come on, brothers and sisters. That's good news. That's why we share it. That's why we love to give it. Because there's more. In fact, the more I give, the more he pours into me to give more. It's almost like it's, it's opposite. You know, where the world's thinking is, well, if I give, then that's less for me. That's less I have. If I give you all that I have, then I have nothing. Hello? That's worldly thinking. Whereas kingdom think is if I give you all that I have, I gain everything. It's hard to process, but it's, it's something that we must align ourselves to. And it's a transforming of our mind that frees us to live like that. Hello? Come on. It's a brain cleansing. We need it. Amen? Amen. Um, so I'm going to go to real quick because I have a little bit of time or, or maybe we just had a quick worship session. But, but uh, John 10, and I want to read this because it's kind of Jesus sums it up like this. I don't know what's going on here. All of a sudden, the words just got really small. <laughs> it, 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 the same thing happens. It, the dryer shrinks all my clothes. I'm like, what the heck? This fit. Like, everything's getting smaller. Anyway. Uh, okay, John chapter 10. I want to read this out of the ESV version, uh, starting in verse 7. Listen to these words. Listen to these words of Jesus. Truly, truly, the starting of verse 7. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. And if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly have it abundantly did you hear that word have life abundantly I came that they may have life abundantly hallelujah amen I am the good shepherd the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep he who is a hired hand and is not wait he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And listen, this is good news. Listen, brothers and sisters, I need us to hear this. this is one of the, I quote this thing, this verse a lot. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them in also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. And for this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. I'll go on just in one more verse. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. Do you see what he's saying in here? Let's go back to because this is the, 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 the message that I want us to hear really clearly is this. Is abundant thinking, kingdom thinking is completely inviting. It, it's so open to say, Jesus, bring others in. Um, worldly thinking is us for and no more, right? The early church, the, 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 the Jews who were followers of Jesus and these Gentiles, dogs, were coming in. They were so different. They were, they were brutal. They were barbarians. They were not like us. They're not like us. Who invited them in? 
And this is, I know this is like, yeah, the, but Eric, of course that's the message of the church. But if we're not careful to truly, authentically line our thinking up with kingdom thinking, stinking thinking always creeps its way back in. And it's the stinking thinking that if I give and I help, or if I do something, then that's less for me. Where the opposite in the kingdom thinking is the more I give, the more I help, the more I serve, the more I invite in, the more we grow, the more we say, come on in, the water's fine, the better it is for all of us. Not just better, but there, it actually becomes more for me. Hello? It truly is a kingdom way of thinking. And that's why I'm, if, you, if, I, if I could ask another gritty question, one more. Mm. <laughs> Never believe a pastor when he says one more. <laughs> Just warning it. <clears throat> but truly, one more. <laughs> I'll ask a question, though. Where does gossip thrive? In hell. In hell. <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good answer. Where does gossip thrive here on earth? <laughs> they need to be clear on that. Where does it thrive? People? Well, well then, that, okay. Well, then that sucks because people are everywhere. So, so what do we do? Where does it thrive? And I'm asking the question so that we can nip it in the bud. In a covetous heart? Okay, that's good. He said where it's accepted as the norm and it becomes even back to my, the statement. What we tolerate is what we validate. It thrives where it's approved. And see, you and I are the biggest culprits, and we're also the only people that can produce a life, a life, a, a environment that life exists. Because I don't know about you guys, but I do this thing and it's like somebody starts saying something about somebody. I just like, I just do the thing that I think should be done. You just walk away. Just turn around. You don't approve. Because when you sit and like, what? What? Oh, that's interesting. Can we pray about it together? And all we're doing is validating Something that God sees as a cancer to the church, to the body of Christ. He said, she said, whoa, do you, oh, and here's one. I think I told George this morning, I think I'm going to write a book. I'm, I'm gonna write, actually going to write a book one day. You know what it's going to be? 101 Ways to Offend People. <laughs> I might come up with 1,010. I don't know. Because it seems like I can do it on any day of the week. Uh, any, any sentence that comes out of my mouth is, uh, well, that, that's, 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 that's about a dozen of them. Okay, okay. <laughs> but here's what I'm saying is, is and I, you know, just with that question in mind is, we have, we have, you and I have the ability to produce an environment that's abundant, some biased. Okay, come on, this excites me, man. I'm getting excited about this. This excites me because I'm thinking, if all that we're offering is Jesus, we're offering everything that anybody needs. If I offer you anything other than Jesus, I'm, I'm selling you short. And when all that we offer is the grace of God, the goodness of God, his rich mercies, his kindness. We snip everything in the bud that is not of that. We've got to be about just simply offering all of his goodness to everybody and anybody. The whosoever's. That's you and me and our neighbors and whoever's on the street and whoever doesn't think like me. Hallelujah! Amen! And I love that 
we have this environment, but we've got to, we've got to plant ourselves in the truth. We've got to stay the course. His good grace is truly infinite. Amen? His good grace tastes good. And if I'm up here cooking up something that isn't of good grace and serving it to you is like, here, taste this. And all it is is bitter fruit. Then that's not God. But if I'm up here cooking up something that's delicious to your soul, that causes something that inside of you to, to earn and, and it, ur- it urges you to want more of him, then that's the good grace of Jesus. Amen? Amen. I'm going to read this last verse. and it's a, I'm, Actually, all it is, it's a, the verse in another translation. And then uh, so we can get the worship team up here because it's, it's, it's Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And it's in the Passion Translation, which I love dearly. It's fun to read for me. So, beloved friends, beloved friends, this is Paul's writing. Remember, this is Romans 12, 1. What should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? To surrender yourselves to God, to be his sacred living sacrifices and live in holiness, experiencing all that delights his heart. For this becomes your genuine expression of worship. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we do just thank you for today. Thank you that your blessings, your mercies, your kindness, your goodness, your grace is so, so amazingly good. And in Jesus' name, may we simply just gnaw on you, get a taste of you. In all we do, bring glory to you. And then in tasting you, just want to share it and give it. Show it and live it. And be this for others in our lives, Lord. We just want to see you, Jesus. And I know, I know in my own life this, that what's taking place is a continual work. And so I, I believe this to be taking place in all of us is you're still working on me there's still some cleansing some transforming some some washing that needs to take place in my mind in my heart and my spirit and so for that I'm saying thank you Jesus thank you Father God thank you Holy Spirit that you don't give up on me and that you're continuously pulling pushing Sometimes even dragging me along. But Lord, I thank you for your good grace. In Jesus' name, amen.